And welcome back once again to another year of what we think is the best podcast there is when it comes to Alabama football and athletics, but especially Crimson Tide football under Nick Saban, now going into his 13th season at the University of Alabama. Uh, and that is uh, Bams Radio. I'm your host, Drew DeArmond. I've got my usual co-hosts and cohorts with me. The wizard behind the curtain, Thomas Watts, producer and co-host of this show, does a great job always uh, getting us uh, up and ready to go. And uh, this podcast will you know, be available now each week uh, throughout the, uh, the season. Look for it most of the time. Uh, they'd be on Mondays. We always uh, we kind of like to uh, record this show on a Sunday and replay it on a Monday for everyone to get your week started right. Uh, of course, William Redfish Barger is going to continue to be with us, a former national champion with the University of Alabama and from 88 to 93, a member of the Capstone and a member of the program. So uh, he's, uh, of course, an insider. He's still close to the football program at the University of Alabama. We always enjoy hearing his thoughts and takes and what he's hearing coming out of Tuscaloosa. But Thomas and William are now with me, and it's great to kick off another year of BAMS Radio. Good evening, fellas. First of all, Thomas, uh, I hope summer man, how are you? I'm pretty good, Drew. Uh, I defend my dissertation uh, in ah, October. So nice. by, by the time Alabama wins a national championship, you'll have to call me Dr. Watts. Well, it's been a, it's been a long <laughs> process. You have to go through the lot to become a doctor. But congratulations that you're all you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're almost done. And you're almost finally Dr. Thomas Watts. Now, we'll probably have to start calling you Dr. Thomas Watts or Dr. Wizard or something of that. Of that. we got to pay homage to that. But congratulations. <laughs> I know that's a lot of work. A dissertation is quite an undertaking. Uh, and I know you're going to knock it out of the park finishing up. But congratulations of being to that point in the process. And William, welcome back to BAMS, man. I hope you've had a really good summer. How are you this evening? I'm doing great, Drew, and uh, glad everybody's had a good summer. And, you know, Thomas, you talking about that doctor stuff. I was watching a ESPN special on uh, the rise and fall of Tony Mandrich one night last week. And, they, you know, they called him the doctor when he was at Michigan State. I'm hoping yeah. you're not going to be calling him the doctor for the same reason they called Mandrich the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll try and avoid that one. Well, I will I, I will say this. We're, we're not going to go into too much of it, but certainly uh, Yavi Anoma, no longer a member of the Alabama football program, could have used a doctor of some sort uh, to help him uh, uh, just kind of get himself on the on the right path. He let's just say he had a lot of personal and uh, personal issues and, and uh, you know, maturity issues. He is no longer with the program. Very disappointing. You know, couple, one year ago. Uh, he was he uh, you know arrived at Alabama it's a little bit more than a year but I think last May is when he enrolled and May or June and he was he came in with a lot of fanfare the top five player overall in the country number one pass rusher but guys and I'll start with you William he just never seemed to be able to find his niche and get comfortable uh, at Alabama and so I guess for it to end this way if you were paying attention at all shouldn't be that much of a surprise. No, it's not. You know, and I, I kind of felt like after seeing him, you know, in person that, um, you know, he, he probably needed the, the Marlon Humphrey treatment, you know, despite being a five-star kid. Red shirt, um, yeah. You know, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he was SEC ready as a true freshman. Could have used a red shirt to get bigger and stronger and, you know, make the adjustment that most, most kids, uh, you know, need, which, which is time and um, you know, that may or may not have played a part into, uh, you know, why he's no longer a part of the program. It's, uh, you know, kind of a sad story. You, you know, you hope the kid and, uh, you, you know, the coaching staff at his new home at, with the University of Houston, um, you know, gets him the help that he needs. And, you know, he can go on and, and have a productive, you know, adult life. I just, you know, based on some of the stuff that I've been told, um, I, I just don't ever see him being – um, you know, that, that dominant football player, unless he can address and resolve some of these, uh, you know, personal issues that he has. But, you know, it's, it's a case that, you know, at a program like Alabama, of, you know, when, when one guy leaves, another guy steps up. And, you know, certainly they were counting on him to provide depth, um, you know, at that outside linebacker spot. And now, you know, that he's gone, um, 
you know, it's kind of, you know, Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis, Chris Allen, and then all of a sudden they've got to find some proven commodities um, to, to develop and, and uh, you know, kind of rise to the occasion over there. So, you know, they'll, they'll get a chance to look at a lot of kids to, to fill that spot, you know, in the next couple of weeks during fall camp. And I'm sure there'll be somebody that's ready to uh, step in and, and get those reps. Well, your, your thoughts, Thomas, uh, we, uh, everyone had high hopes for a Yabby. I was thinking he was going to be a guy, especially on third downs, that could be a pass rusher. He had a, uh, a sack and three tackles in the A-Day game and had a good spring on the field, but obviously there were just too many issues off the field for him to continue at Alabama once he was dismissed from the school. Well, it's it's pretty much been said. I think Iabi and Oma would have been first or second off the bench at worst, but unfortunately he had some issues that couldn't be resolved by the structure at Alabama. Honestly, he's not the first person, even that we've seen as Alabama fans, that has rebelled against Nick Saban's structure and put himself in a situation where he's either behind the eight ball to stay or it's time for you to go. So on the field, it is a hit for the Alabama football team. There are a bunch of guys, because remember, Alabama did a lot of adding to get more jack linebackers and more pass rush guys. So it's not like Alabama's production is going to fall off a cliff. The only time I think the team's going to feel something like Anoma leaving is if there's another calamity at the outside linebacker positions like there's been for the past couple of years, where by the time Alabama matched up with Clemson out in California, they were trying to find a pass rush with an absolutely not ready Ayave Anoma because everyone else had gotten hurt, essentially. So it, that's going to be the only time you would really feel something like this. But otherwise, you know, hopefully the kid gets some of gets some of his issues worked out. But wow, if if half of what has been rumored and with Nick Saban saying, you know, it, it was a university rule that means it's a different set of circumstances than just sort of he went and pissed the team off. That's a, that's a little bit more serious in turn in that ball game. So obviously the situation being what it is, hopefully the young man can get it straightened out. But for the Alabama football team, I don't think it's really going to hurt them on the field, barring a catastrophic set of injuries from outside linebackers. Well, and then the other attrition recently in the last few weeks uh, is another disappointing one because I think he could have had a role coming off a four-game suspension as a blocking tight end, and he scored a touchdown in the A-Day game. He was always a guy that other people talked about what he could do, quote-unquote, potentially, but he never lived up to it because he could never get uh, – he never was reliable enough for the coaches to count on. That's, of course, Keedrick James. Uh, from Waco, Texas. Hell, he was supposed to be on this podcast and bailed out. So that was that was the first bad sign. Uh, but certainly when he was in high school. But uh, Kedrick James now headed to SMU. So that's opened up a chance at tight end for others to step forward. But now uh, the position has become perilously thin because uh, Miller Forrestal is not practicing much the first couple of weeks, re- recovering from a foot injury. Uh, so the uh, rising redshirt junior, not there right now, not practicing. Cameron Latu, who looks like he has put on some needed weight. He's now number 81. Saw him yesterday at practice at the Fan Day on Media work, uh, Workout. Uh, he is going to uh, be a guy that has a chance to step forward. Also, Major Tennyson, he's coming off an injury as well. He's never really been able to gain the confidence of the coaches because I'm not sure they, they thought he played with enough physicality. Michael Parker, redshirt freshman from Westminster Christian. Here in Huntsville is also another guy that's 240-plus that's going to have an opportunity. Uh, but So we've had uh, those uh, two guys, Kedrick James and Ayabi Anoma, fall by the wayside. They joined Vandarius Cowan, who was really uh, dismissed about a year ago now. He's now at the University of West Virginia playing for Neil Brown, former coach of the Troy Trojans. Uh, he, had, he had transferred to there. Kyrie McDonald, now immediately eligible. He transferred uh, to the University of Cincinnati to play for Luke Fickle. Uh, after uh, really uh, being forced into the transfer portal at Alabama. So there's been some attrition, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, But uh, I I think uh, the the two that bother you the most are Yabi Anoma and Kedrick James. But, William, it's going to be interesting because, as you just talked about, when someone is dismissed from the program, it opens up an opportunity. So I'm really 
offensively in, in fall camp as we're getting underway, tight end is a position that I think really needs to be watched. Well, I don't know how much, Drew. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, whispers uh, coming out of the football building that, that Steve Sarkeesian feels like. And, you know, this is a guy that's you know, always been a pro-style guy and, and looks to, you know, use one, two tight ends and then run formations and then, you know, throw the football to him. But sounds to me like Steve Sarkeesian feels like their best and most productive formation is going to be a four-wide receiver, one-back set. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, despite looking pretty and, you know, being the superstar in the five-minute media viewing period every day in practice, like you touched on, Kendrick James, Kendrick James, excuse me, never really did anything to distinguish himself when the lights were turned on. So um, I I don't know if if that's a part of it. I I think it probably has more to do with the fact that, that he feels like this is the best stable of wide receivers he's ever been around. Um, you know, you know the cast of characters. He seems to have fallen in love in his short um, return to Alabama with Jalen Waddle, which is no surprise. So, I would look for that uh, to kind of be the, the the focal point of this offense. Maybe not against Duke, but you know, as the season progresses, um, you know, he, he's kind of uh, whispered under his breath to some people that if if you know two studs like Josh Job and Patrick Sartain can't cover these wide receivers. Well, hell, nobody else can either. So I think that's something to watch as the season progresses. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, there's, and I, and I gotta say, I, I, there's a, there's somebody to watch though. And I didn't talk, I, I talked about him on this show, but I didn't talk about him afterwards this summer. And I've been on a lot of radio shows, including my own. And I really didn't bring him up because you always think, at the time, you're thinking, okay, Miller Forstall is going to be the starter at tight end. You think Kedrick James is going to – you were hearing good things about him coming back until he regressed. So he could be the answer at blocking tight end. And then, again, we talked about Cameron Latu. And then I didn't bring him up, but Jaleel Billingsley was – he's impressive looking. He's going to need to gain weight, but he moves well. He caught the ball well in practice yesterday. He's a freshman from Chicago. You always think about the scholarship players, but I don't know, like – uh, but there, there's a walk-on that I think is going to play this year. And he he got a lot of first-team reps uh, in the spring. And I talked to his parents, and they were over the moon. And he he was, too. He's from the state of Georgia. He, he's a fifth-year senior. And he was out there a lot with the ones yesterday, right next to Tua Tungvaluwa in the backfield. And I think they believe, because he's 240-plus, that he can block. He caught the ball, and they threw it to him. I really think Giles Amos is somebody to watch. He's somebody that... Uh, he came out of nowhere. William, it kind of reminds me of 2012. I don't know if you remember Kelly Johnson, the, the walk-on oh, yeah. fullback, H-back. Nobody knew who he was. He got a scholarship his last year, and he gained the confidence of Saban and the staff because he was a great blocker, and he, had, he played a role all year long. Well, this guy, it looks like he may do the same thing. And so if I think trust is a big thing with Nick Saban, and he was out there a lot with the ones, and I think – the, you know, that, I think that may, may be why Alabama did not explore a ton of options in the transfer portal. Even with Kedrick going by the wayside, I think Nick Saban found that liked Amos and how he's developed. And then, as you said, uh, there's other options that are still there, guys that have returned, guys that are young players. But I, I think he's satisfied enough with their development that they can they can for a year until they sign a couple of more tight ends to come in be able to get the production they need at the position, especially with they're going to be in a lot of four wide sets because this wide receiver core is just re- the most loaded we've ever seen at Alabama. But it's always nice to see a guy, as, for as much as disappointing as, as it is to see somebody like a, a Yabi Anoma or even a Kedrick James, both talented players, not be able to you know come through and you know and 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 take advantage of what we think is a great opportunity. There's always a guy like Amos. There was always a guy like Levi Wallace who kind of come out of nowhere and become some of your favorite stories. Yeah, no, that's certainly going to be uh, you know interesting to watch. And you just you just jarred my memory when you were going down the the, the tight end roster. I, I still um, felt like I needed to go get a, a new prescription for my <laughs> glasses after reading this. And this is nothing against Miller Forrestal, you know take the plaque, go flame, uh, frame the article or whatever for when you're an old man like me. But I, when I saw that the media had, had tabbed him as the third team of preseason all-SEC tight end, I just was like, wow, 
it must be a really down year for tight ends in the SEC for, you know, somebody that I don't think's ever made it through a full season in the, the time that he's been at Alabama to get, you know, tabbed with a preseason. Now, you know, of course, those preseason awards don't mean anything, but I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Um, but, no, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how Sarkeesian, um, you know, incorporates that position group um, and, you know, who's going to be the inline guys, who's going to be more of the H-backs and, um, you know, we'll see, you know, how this walk-on factors in. Like you were, you know, talking about, Kelly Johnston played a huge role, um, you know, his, his senior year for Alabama, and hopefully this kid can, can turn into the same type of utility player. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I just kept watching him yesterday, and he caught the football, and they threw it to him, and, and Parker had a couple of drops. And, again, if you're going to earn the, the confidence of the quarterbacks and the confidence of the coaches, you got to make plays however many times you get a chance to do that. And so I thought, well, you know, Parker, he's still got time, though. He's just going to be a redshirt freshman. This kid, Amos, he's a senior, but he's he's catching the football. Obviously, they've got him in there. He's going to have to block. They, I think they believe he can hold up at the point of attack. So he's someone I'm really going to watch now the rest of fall camp to see if he gets on the field early. Maybe I think Johnson ended up on a scholarship his senior year. Like I just I think I said earlier, this may be the same thing with Amos. I know Coach Saban a lot of times at the end of fall camp, will give someone a scholarship. I mean, they had a couple open up with, you know, Kedrick and obviously uh, Yabi uh, going by the wayside. So hopefully that kid will get rewarded because I think he's obviously on a path to do that. And then I know, when you always love the offensive line. It's really just started. Landon Dickerson passes the look test. He looks very good uh, through the chest. He's a very thick guy. I know you've everyone's heard that. But when you see him in person, it's absolutely legit. He's listed at 6'6", 308. Now, right now, he's got a hill to climb. He was yesterday, he was mostly with the twos and the threes at right guard. I mean, and that's to be expected. He's only practiced for a couple of days. Uh, the usual suspects were with the first group. Uh, you had the tackles, which I think are both have a chance to be really good this year. Alex Leatherwood at left, Jedrick Wills at right. And then the interesting competition is going to be what happens inside as of right now, it's still Ekior at left guard, uh, center uh, Chris Owens, even though there's some thought that Dickerson may end up trying to compete there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, at right guard, Matt Womack, who looks slim down. He does look better. He's got to stay healthy. He's had a, he had bad luck losing his job a couple years ago when he was, a, I thought, a good left, uh, excuse me, right tackle in the Southeastern Conference. But I still think the, the competition is mostly going to be at the interior spots. Dickerson could end up pushing Owens eventually. And then you've got Emil Echior. He's going to have to hold off Evan Neal, who got some first-team reps with the ones. Not as many as Emil, but he did get some. And then at right guard, we saw uh, Matt Womack kind of tweak a finger a little bit. So Deontay Brown was in there. And when Deontay's four-game suspension is up, Deontay is going to probably make a big push for playing time. So I think, William, the competition right now, seems to be at the uh, inside spots. Scott Lashley looks like to be the swing tackle. He got some uh, time yet late yesterday at right and left. But as of now, it looks like most of the competition is going to be at the interior spots. Yeah, and I mean, I think the best news, you know, right out of the gate is that they're not wasting, um, you know, their time giving Dickerson a look at, at left tackle or right tackle. He was terrible right. at FSU. Um, when they put him out there on the edge, um, I do think he could end up factoring in at center. Um, you know, you, you talked about the, you know, the the competition at left guard between uh, Ikior and and Evan Neal, and, and certainly you expect to see Deontay Brown get that right guard spot back. Um, you know, once his suspension is over with. But you know, I think it's a, you know, a really good story. Um, that, that Matt Womack has emerged as a guy that, you know, uh, I thought played really well, well, excuse me, really well, like you said, two years ago when he was the starting right tackle and, uh, you know, kind of lost his job to, you know, being injured. And, uh, you know, they feel like he can play four of the five spots on the O-line. The O-line, they don't like him at his center, which probably he's too tall for. But, um, yeah, I think they've got a lot of depth, a lot of talent. Um, you'd like to see some more guys kind of get developed. Um, you know, it's taken Lashley a long time. Um, I, I really had high hopes. Man, that guy still might be the best-looking guy getting off the bus. Huh, right. Um, in, street, in street clothes at, at that tackle spot. But, 
um, you know, I think you've got two guys right there, um, you know, in Womack and Lashley that can play winning football on the outside. So uh, probably the competition, I, you know, I think Leatherwood settled in at left tackle and certainly you got, you know, a, a first-round draft pick over there at right tackle and Jedrick Wills. So, um, you know, the competition is going to be, you know, at the, the probably at left guard and center. I, I think Deontay Brown and Matt Womack, it's going to be one of those two guys. Obviously, it's going to be Womack. <clears throat> you know, against Duke and until Deontay's suspension's over with. But I think they feel really good. I, I think, you know, as a as a staff, um, they feel really good where they're at, you know, at, at all the offensive positions. There's a lot of returning, you know, proven commodities everywhere you look, you know, like we touched on maybe outside of the tight end position. And Steve Sarkeesian may just choose to scheme around that. But um, I, I don't think there's really a lot of questions or um, – you know, position battles on that offense, maybe at uh, other than left guard. Um, obviously, the running back positions, you may be, you may see some guys, you know, compete for the backup role there. The wide receiver, you know, groups as talented as it's ever been, and um, so it's there's really not a lot of questions other than I'm sure they would like to start developing, you know, some of the young guys. I mean, can can the true freshman Mechie? build on his, you know, outstanding spring practice and get into the rotation, you know, with the five guys in front of him, that's going to be difficult, but he's, he had a good enough spring where he may do it. Um, you know, who's going to be the number two guy, um, you know, behind Najee Harris. I mean, they're really high on the, uh, the two newcomers and Killian Robinson and Trey Sanders. So, um, you know, I think Brian Robinson has his work cut out for him to keep uh, to keep his notch up there on the depth chart. So there's a lot of really positive, you know, upbeat things going on on offense. And, uh, you know, we just got to wait and see how that all plays out. And I, I'm glad you said something about scheming around the tight end because we heard from Steve Sarkeesian yesterday, and the first thing he said was he wanted to run the football, which I think is, is big for Alabama. I think they'd lost a little bit of their physicality since 2014 they haven't run the ball as well except for when Lane Kiffin built the team realized eh, about fourth game in that Derrick Henry had to be the guy and they started feeding him 30 times per game other than that year the the running game hasn't been a uh, I don't think the physicality has been what it needed to be especially in the red zone to finish drives and I think that's something that Steve Sarkeesian is going to bring to the table that's what I was hopeful that he would bring to the table in 2017 uh, but he left for the Atlanta Falcons, and so he's back. I was excited to hear that. And so I think he's also, because maybe a, a dynamic player like Irv Smith is gone, you're probably going to see Alabama feature the running backs in the passing game. And there was a lot of pass catching going on yesterday, William. And i got to say, I've always been high on Brian Robinson as a receiver. I think Najee will do uh, good enough. But uh, Trey Sanders really did a great job catching the ball. And I've always heard that he was a – uh, you know, at IMG, he returned kicks. I knew that. But that he really was a, a, a good all-around back. He he could block. He could run. He could catch. He certainly passes the look test physically. So I was impressed with some things Trey did. I know Keelan Robinson, they dodged a bullet the first day of practice because they he got carted off, but he had what they call full-body cramp. And so he cramped up, and he was back out there yesterday. I've been really impressed with his explosiveness so far, the staff has. Uh, they think he could be another like versatile Josh Jacobs type. Uh, so it, he looks like he's definitely added weight. He had to have some knee surgery in the offseason. So I think he's got a chance, like you said, to be good. I do think Brian Robinson, though, he's still my pick to be the breakout guy on offense. I think he's been underestimated his whole career. And as you said, he's going to have to stay on his P's and Q's with two really talented freshmen there. And I think he knows that. He's been patiently waiting for a chance. I thought when they were running the ball in teamwork yesterday that he looked like he had the best burst and vision of all the guys. I was really impressed with what I saw. Najee made some plays, but I was really impressed with what I saw out of Brian Robinson. So I'm excited about him. Najee looks like he's slimmed down a little bit. So he's going to have to – the only worry with Najee has always been playing without the ball, blocking, catching, because he's never had to do a lot of that. Hopefully he's going to be – sharp because I think he's going to have to mind his P's and Q's because Brian Robinson's hungry and then you've got these two young cats so all of them want to play so I know he's been waiting to be the guy well this is his chance and he's going to have to stay sharp and uh, play 
you know, and play well without the ball, and then of course protect it when he's running it. But I just think right now they're going to have a different style of running game because this offensive line is bigger and more physical than they've had, and these are downhill one-cut runners that they've got. And I think that Najee Harris being you know 225, 230, same way with Brian Robinson, it's going to be more of a between the tackles approach, which I like, and I think. That William, I think you'd agree that the biggest thing offensively that caught up with Alabama a year ago, they were explosive, but it was the inability to uh, impose your will and run the football on teams down the stretch and close out games that caught up with them against the best team in the country last year, which was Clemson. Yeah, no, I agree. Certainly the the red zone production has to get, uh, you know, better. And, and I think we talked about this in the spring. Um, you know, the easiest way for it to get more productive and get better is to eliminate the uh, illegal procedure penalties yeah. that they seem to be, you know, plagued with every time they would get into that situation. Of, you know, a first and goal would, would turn into, you know, first and goal from the five would turn into a, you know, second and goal from the 15. And, you know, you, a lot of times you saw it, you know, keep going in the wrong direction. So, um, and I think that'll be a focal point. Um, you know, and I, and I think one of the things, you know, coming out of spring practice that, I've heard over and over again is, you know, when the, the coaching staff, you know, looks at Najee Harris in person, you know, they, they, they get infatuated because they think they're getting a, a big running back. But when you turn the tape on, you know, he doesn't really run like a big running back. You don't see a, you know, a Derrick Henry type, um, even though they're built similarly. Um, and last year he kind of got caught up in, in what a lot of young running backs do, especially when they're not the starters, is, you know, he got really impatient, um, you know, with the lack of touches that he got, you know, in meaningful games. And so when he went out there, he pressed a lot. And so they've really worked a lot with him on, you know, you're going to get 15-plus touches a game this year. Um, you know, take what's there and, you know, the, the home runs will come. So they, they've spent a lot of time, you know, trying to work on Najee's mindset and, and, you know, trying to get him to play within his skill set. And, yeah, I don't think they're going to ask him to be something different than what he is. And, and I think he can, um, you know, factor in, like you were talking about, into the passing game. All the running backs, you know, like you said, I think will factor in there. So, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is, you know, kind of, you know, told people in private, I mean, this is probably the most, you know, loaded uh, you know, when you factor in the depth and the talent and O-line, the quarterback position, uh, the wide receivers and the running backs, I mean, this might be the most talented, uh, um, you know, offense that he's had to work with. And that says a lot when you go back and look at what he was dealing with, you know, back in the mid-2000s with, with USC. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, but I, even with all those USC teams, they, they had some great receivers uh, on the, on, you know, the Michael Williams, the the Dwayne Jarrett's, those kind of guys. But I don't think they – and the Steve Smiths, they never had, you could say, a, a quartet with uh, with uh, John Mechie, the true freshman. I don't know how much Mechie will play because, again, you've got four guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, people will say probably that I was biased, but in my all-SEC ballot, I voted for four receivers, and they were all from Alabama. Okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> I just did I couldn't leave one off without thinking about the others, and I was like, "To hell yeah. with it!" And that, you know. Now we all now we all know how Forrestal got thirteen tight ends. Well, I, I didn't vote for Miller Forrestal. I will say that <laughs> I did not. That one shocked me, honestly, because he, uh, he's not played any snaps really. I'm like, "Are you really?" I mean, I was happy for Miller, but I was like, "Whoa!" Right. I mean, I, I I I voted for the the dude from Missouri, who I think is a hell of a player. I can't pronounce his name. But he's a hell of a player, and he made a bunch of plays last year, uh, you know. And so I voted for him, and you know. And but I, like I said, I was just wow. I, I couldn't believe that Miller made third team. I mean, congrats to him, but certainly uh, he did not get one of my votes uh, at tight end. I hope he has a good year. But I honestly, William, because of those four guys at wide receiver, and due to the fact I think the running backs are going to be more involved. I see maybe the tight ends, that, uh, the leading tight end at Alabama, whether it be Miller or if lots who develops or Amos, I think you're only going to see 20 to 25 catches. But even though I know Sarkeesian has involved the tight end in his offenses in the past, but without a dynamic guy, I think we saw, I think Irv Smith had close to 50 catches last year. I think that's going to be cut in half at Alabama this season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because, you know, you, you don't have an Irv Smith or an O.J. Howard, um, you know, in, in that 
meeting room right now. And, you know, do you really want to take 25 catches away from, you know, that, that wide receiver core that, that just, you know, showed how nasty they were last year. And, you know, certainly the addition of, uh, you know, Jalen Waddle and John Mechie is just going to make them even deeper. And, and, you know, also the, uh, you know, another freshman that, that, you know, people are talking about a lot or is the Williams kid from South Florida. So there, there's plenty of bodies in that wide receiver room that are, that are very, very talented. Yes, they are. I even like Slade Bolden. There's some that don't, but I've heard Sark really likes the kid. I think he'll be a much bigger, you know, uh, you know, uh, factor next year. And the other tight end I voted for, I just want to make that clear, was Cheyenne O'Grady at Arkansas. And once he got out of the doghouse last year, he was basically their leading receiver. And if he stays out of the doghouse all season, uh, this uh, go round, I think he'll put up big numbers for Arkansas. So, and again, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Missouri tight end's last name, but I did vote for the kid, and I think he's got a chance, uh, you know, to be to have a hell of a uh, season this year. So those were my two votes at the tight end spot. But uh, but, but to, to kind of roll uh, uh, wrap it up on offense, William, I, I, I honestly, after seeing it yesterday and seeing these quarterbacks throw, we know this is Tua Tungvaluwa's football team. But I think Mac Jones can develop. But I honestly was just watching him throw. I think by midseason, Talia Tungavailoa is going to be the backup on this team. Made several good throws yesterday. Now, that said, I still don't think he'll play in more than four games. I think the coaching staff, if Tua stays healthy, is going to want to redshirt him and Mac Jones to be the backup. But I think we remember back uh, when A.J. McCarron was here by the end of the 09 season, it, they didn't announce it, but he was basically the backup himself uh, behind Greg McElroy, though he was never needed, and he went ahead and redshirted. But I think uh, the same could be said for Talia Tungavailoa. I just think he has more upside and arm talent than a kid like Mac Jones, uh, who I think – I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think long-term he's probably going to graduate transfer and go somewhere else. I just don't know that Mac's going to ever be a starting quarterback at Alabama. Well, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I mean, he's got a big, big mental hurdle that he's going to have to, you know, nobody can help him get over this but himself. But the coaching staff is actually very, very high on Mac Jones. They think he's got a great understanding of the offense. You know, he can make all the throws. Um, but, you know, his, his biggest Achilles heel so far through two years in his career at Alabama has been when, when he makes a bad play or adversity strikes, he tends to go into a shell. And mm-hmm. I've seen him over the last two years, you know, I'll go, I'll go down there and watch, uh, you know, a practice, and he looks like, um, you know, he's got a chance to be a great player one day and maybe be the starter. And then, you know, I go back two weeks later and I look like, you know, I feel like I'm watching Blake Barnett. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's got to get over um, not being able to move on to the next play after he makes a bad one. Uh, but they, they still have a lot of high hopes for him. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me um, if Talia overtakes him. Uh, but like you said, I don't think they'll force the issue uh, you know, unless they absolutely have to. I don't think they want to burn, um, you know, Talia's redshirt year. And, uh, you know, certainly there's, uh, you know, a couple of other good quarterbacks that are possibly going to end up, uh, you know, in that quarterback room coming down the road. So, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't – it's getting to the point at that position to where you almost really don't have time or the luxury as a player. I'm sure the coaches wishes it was different, but, but as a player, you really don't have time to, um, you know, take the AJ McCarron route or the Greg McElroy route where you, you know, you develop slowly over a period of time and you wait your turn. You know, it's, it's become such an important position and, and, you know, where you have to be able to make explosive plays at an early age. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of – I think this is a big, big fall camp for Mac Jones. Um, you know, how he performs is certainly, like you said, it could end up impacting, um, you know, where he's at, um, you know, in 2020 as a quarterback. He, he may not be in Tuscaloosa. Um you know, it, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But certainly I think they've got, you know, at least three guys that are capable of playing winning SEC football in that quarterback room. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go over to defense and talk about that a little bit, I wanted to bring Thomas into the conversation and get some of his thoughts. What are your thoughts about this offense, Thomas? Well, I think it will be interesting to see the mix of 
RPO to more Sarkeesian-y, West Coast-y stuff. I haven't sat down and looked at ratios for the Atlanta Falcons or USC or Washington, but the only one that would really be relevant in this sense would, to me, be the Falcons because the RPO has exploded so much over the past couple of years. But overall, there's so much talent everywhere. You know, you guys did talk about the tight ends and, you know, talking about Ayabe and Oma, we mentioned some of the potential catastrophic depth problems. But outside of tight end, this Alabama offense has dudes everywhere. And yes, if you look at Alabama's schedule, there are going to be some good defensive teams that Alabama has to get through even during the regular season. But it really is going to be a situation where is Steve Sarkeesian enough of a game planner? And one of the things that's really interesting from his time in the NFL is that the NFL is really good at, you know, siloing game plans and doing very specific game plan things that they plug in every week to a level that's not as not as common in college because players in college are limited to a certain number of hours to study the game plan each week and all that. The thing that uh, Rodriguez got in trouble for at Michigan a few years back. But, you know, is Sarkeesian able to essentially have his loaded chessboard, if you like chess or if you're a tool person, his toolbox full of pretty awesome new tools, can he deploy them to build a new thing every week in a different way? If he can maintain flexibility like that, there's no reason not to get excited. Because the thing with this Alabama offense is, are they able to take advantage of where you're weak, i.e., you know, let's, let's pick a team out of the, out of a hat. Uh, the Auburn Tigers, Auburn has a great defensive front. They should be able to do a lot of things, but is it something where you can pound on that unit or is the fact that there's the Auburn secondary is still has tons of questions that carry over from last year, where if you threw the ball over 15 yards, Auburn just curled up and died and gave up a touchdown. Well, if you just can bomb Auburn, that's what you do. But if Auburn has a secondary, but they only have three good defensive linemen, you just pound them into the dirt with with the running game. If Alabama can find that balance, which has been something that Nick Saban has been able to do in his most effective offenses throughout the years, it's you know that that's the recipe for success. And Sarkeesian certainly has the pedigree to be fairly flexible. I think it's fair to be excited about this group of guys. Um, the Landon Dickerson thing, I was a little bit shocked. And it's funny, um, several professors in my department got their PhDs from FSU. So when Dickerson transferred, I got a lot of dirty looks when I went and hit the Keurig for my afternoon coffee. But I just sort of laughed and moved on. So yeah, I think it's fair to be excited. I think it's something to look forward to. And you know, one of the things that you also brought up that I want to echo, Drew, is it's not just the guys that Alabama fans know from last year. It's some of the new true freshmen that'll have spot duty a la Jalen Waddle. So I think it, it's of all the things to worry about as an Alabama fan. And, and I am I, very interested later on in the show to get your both of your takes on the specialists, which I've heard good and bad things about. But of all the things that Alabama fans need to worry about, the offense and being able to be productive is just about at the bottom of the list of things that even are you know a blip on the radar screen i think this offense will be pretty much unstoppable and briefly a lot of people jump on alabama for only scoring 16 points in that clemson game or 14 or however many it was i don't particularly care i've watched yeah 16 yeah i've watched the game one time and i will not watch it again i'll put it to you that way but um mathematically alabama should have scored double or triple that so they moved along and and that's my point. Even against a very, very, very good defensive team in the Clemson Tigers last year, this offense, which returns the majority of its parts, yeah, you have to replace a couple, Irv Smith, et cetera, et cetera, was able to move against that defense. As it stands right now, there's no defense in the SEC that I see that will be able to match Clemson from a talent experience perspective at positions to slow this this Alabama offense down. So I think it's absolutely fair to be very excited about what the Crimson Tide offense can do this year as they go through the schedule. Well, and uh, I'm, I, we're not going to talk much about the kicking game tonight because they didn't do a whole lot of stuff at the scrim, excuse me, at the practice yesterday, the Fan Day Media Day pra- open practice. 
They did a little bit of punting, most of it by Will Reichert. He looked pretty good. Uh, they had uh, Mike Bernier announced he was coming back. He was he had been in the pre, in the uh, transfer portal, but I don't expect him to factor this year. He was third in the spring behind Will Reichert and uh, Skylar DeLong. DeLong only punted a couple of times yesterday. We're going to see if he can carry over what I thought was a really strong spring into the fall. I still think he's the favorite. I think Will Reichert is going to be the field goal kicker. They had no field goal kicking yesterday. Uh, but I think it's going to be Will Reichert. I think Bullivis is probably going to kick off. Both those guys are still on the squad. We'll talk as the, as the weeks go into fall camp and we have scrimmage reports. We'll talk more about the kicking. But you just you brought it up, Thomas. Jalen Waddle should be the punt returner. Uh, Diggs did a little bit of that yesterday and got a little uh, you know nicked up. I think on the kickoff returning, you'll probably see Henry Ruggs on there. We could see a Jerome Ford. I mean, you know, Brian Robinson's done some of it too because he'll also block really well. Uh, but they'll have a plethora of options. Keelan Robinson could be somebody uh, we could see, you know, maybe involved on kickoff return. So there, we'll just have to wait and see how that all plays out. Now, defensively. I still think this can be a dominant group. It just they have to stay healthy. The first 15 to 16 guys. I was really impressed with what I heard from Pete Golding yesterday. Uh, Pete, I thought, sounded a lot more confident in what he was getting across than Tosh did a year ago. Tosh did not even have an opening statement for Christ's sake. And now, and I'll say this: Tosh was a hell of a recruit and a good position coach. I'm never going to criticize that. He just was not ready to be a defensive coordinator. I was talking to a well-respected media member yesterday in the press box at Bryant-Denny Stadium, and we were talking football for about 30 minutes, and we were talking about that. And he said Tosh just wasn't ready to coordinate the back end. And I said, well, I really think he's another Sal Sanceri, and that's not a knock. What Sal is is he's a hell of a position coach, one of the probably the best Saban's ever had at coaching pass rushers. And he's a great, and he's a really good recruiter too. I don't know that he's a Tosh level recruiter, but I think he's close. And the thing is, he just he tried to be a DC at Tennessee, and it was an unmitigated disaster. And then he went back to the NFL, and he was a, a really good defensive line slash outside linebackers coach, pass rusher guy in the NFL. Same way when he came back to college with Florida last year, and he's going to do the same thing at Alabama. You have to know what you are, and that's what Sal Sanceri is. I think Tosh is the same way. I hope he has success with that Cleveland D-line. But if he's, if not, he can come back to college. I think he can coach D-line. I think he can coach pass rushers, and he can recruit. There's no question about it. One of the best there is. I just don't think he was a defensive coordinator. I think Pete Golding is. And this same media member told me this, and he had to have gotten it straight from Nick Saban because I told him, I said, Pete Golding is the pressure point. And, you know, because – but I said, but, Coach – fought to keep this guy because Ole Miss and Oklahoma wanted him. And then he turned to me and he said, well, I think Coach Saban thinks he's the next Will Muschamp. And let's just hope he's right. Because if he is, this defense can become a lead again. And I think with the help of Coach Sal, who's a hell of another set of eyes and a guy that's been around and a veteran and should be comfortable in his own skin, and then Charles Kelly, who did a hell of a job for Jeremy Pruitt at Florida State, and then Jimbo Fisher – uh, you know, he worked under Jeremy when Jeremy was the D.C., then he became the D.C. and did a hell of a job at FSU. But those two guys, and obviously he thinks a lot of Carl Scott or Coach Saban wouldn't have brought him back. And then with Pete Golding, I think, and Brian Baker, I think this staff on defense is going to be a lot better. And if they can stay healthy, William, I think this defense has a chance. Last year's defense, people, you know, have, you know, have criticized them. But for most of the year, they were they were they were really good. They just weren't elite. But I think they can go back to being elite uh, if Pete Golding is the real deal. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think going back to last year, um, you know, if, if they lose all their pass rushers again, like they did last oh, year, yeah. they won't be elite. I, 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 um, that's why I said being healthy because by the time they got to Clemson. The only one left standing was Anthony Jennings, and there was nobody else. No Chris Allen, no Terrell Lewis, and not even Christian Miller, who had the hamstring. Nobody was left. Correct. Um, you know, and I, I think they've got a good mix of coaches, um, you know, on the staff. And they've certainly got a, you know, a lot of really good football players, albeit, you know, some of them, especially in the front seven, are going to be babies. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think any of those guys outside of D.J. Dale – 
um, are, are really going to end up being starters, but there's going to be a lot of them. They're going to be, you know, guys coming off the bench and getting a lot of snaps. But, you know, really the only question mark, unless some injuries pop up elsewhere, is, you know, who's going to be the guy playing next to uh, Dylan Moses at inside linebacker? Um, you know, it was a bit of a um, revolving door in the spring. You know, it won't shock me to see Joshua McMillan be that guy versus Duke, but is he still going to be the guy? Uh, you know, come late September or October 1st, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, there's some other guys, you know, with a lack of experience and time in the program that might have more upside at that spot. But, you know, they're they're loaded with a lot of talent and a lot of depth um, along the D-line um, and then especially in the back end of that defense. I mean, they're, the DBs are just filthy. There's so much talent and depth back there. So, um, you know, certainly all the pieces are in place for it to be a really good unit. You know, they've got a, you know, some some you know nice tune-up games to get everybody on the same page and get the communication down. You know, I just think you just have to you know circle and red marker, um, you know, that inside linebacker spot next to Dylan Moses, and, and that is a position. You know, unless some of these young kids can really step up and you know prove that they're ready to go. Um, you know, if you see a, an injury or two pop up, you know, something happens to Dylan Moses, oh. then, then all of a sudden, then then all of a sudden, this this thing could go south in a hurry. That, that's 100% right. They've got to keep Dylan healthy. He's the Mike. He's the alpha in the room. Uh, I, I'm like you, William. I agree. I just from hearing from Pete Golding and even from Dylan, he 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 gave Joshua McMillan a lot of credit to helping him acclimate himself to college football in the SEC when he got there because he was had been in the program two years, and he helped Dylan kind of navigate everything and not get overwhelmed. And he said he really trusts, uh, you know, Josh being next to him because he knows Josh, well, he ha- he may not be the most athletic guy, but he's very smart, uh, and he knows his job. He knows where to be. So much like a Denzel Duvall outside, we could see him be the starter at least early. Shane Lee's the one I'm watching. I mean, he, did so- he had such a good spring, good A-Day game, seven tackles. Let's see how he continues to develop. You know, I heard from my coaches, and he was really impressed from the sideline about how Shane Lee was even calling out upperclassmen who, you know, weren't doing the right things on a play-in and play-out basis. And, you know, he said Scott Cochran, he's still close to Coach Cochran, and Coach Cochran is really high on Lee and his leadership, even as a young player. So I'm anxious to see him. I'm anxious to see Ali Keho. He had a rough spring because he got off to a, a late start. He's had some, like, kind of like, not nearly as bad as Ayabi and Noma. I mean, my God, we've Ayabi's got issues that we've never, you know, it's just, let's just say he's just got, he needs some professional help. Uh, Ale's family situation has not been great going through a divorce. He, he's been going through some emotional roller coasters. But if he's ready to, to finally focus, I think he can make a run. I'm anxious to see, you know, what he can do. He was out there yesterday. Uh, Jalen Moody looks like he's gotten bigger. Uh, he had an interception in the A-Day game, no question about that. Uh, and then you've also got uh, a young guy uh, like a Markel Benton, though I'm not as high on Benton. I'm just not. This is going to be a make-or-break fall camp for him to see if he can earn the trust of the coaches to to get to uh, impact the depth chart. Christian Harris looks great. I know the coaches are very excited about him. He's maybe the most athletic guy next to Dylan Moses in the room. But again, it's going to depend on how quickly Harris, you know. Uh, acclimates himself to the scheme as to whether or not he ends up being a, a huge factor this year and only just special teams. But I still think the talent is there. But like you said, William, the first thing they have to have is a healthy Dylan Moses. He can be as good as anybody in the country, but he needs to be healthy. And so Alabama's had a lot of injuries at the linebacker spot. They need some luck this year. I think if you keep Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings healthy, it could be the best Sam and Jack Backers of the Saban era as far as as a duo. And then you've got a guy like Chris Allen. And now that Ayabi Anoma is off to the University of Houston, William, a couple of guys to watch for me, Jerez Parks, who's a redshirt freshman. But there is a, a true freshman. I saw him in the – he was the first guy I saw going up the stairs at the Malmore building. And our good friend Rodney Orr has lauded him at the way he's made strides physically since May. I'm telling you, King Makuta passes the look test. I'm going to be really interested – to see if he can, uh, you know, it, it, the mental part, if, it, how, how that affects him, because I still think King Makuta could maybe be a guy on third down that could earn some playing time as a true freshman. That guy's gone from 230 to 250, and he looks really, really good. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting in your comments when you brought up Denzel Duvall, um, because that's really, I thought, was the, the best, you know, kind of career path for Joshua McMillan. He's, he's, he's probably even longer than Denzel Duvall, but I thought he could have made a, a quicker impact and maybe his long-term best position would have been to, you know, turn him into a, you know, a Jack or a Sam linebacker versus keeping him inside. But we'll have to wait and see how that all pans out. And certainly, uh, you know, Shane Lee is the, the guy that everybody's kind of got their eyes on. Um, had a huge spring practice, huge A-Day game. And I, and I think he's carried that over into summer camp. Um, but, you know, the, like you said, I mean, there are some guys that, that could really step up and, um, you know, Makuta's development in such a short period of time is, is phenomenal physically to, you know, to put that kind of weight on in such a short period of time, especially in the freaking Tuscaloosa summer heat. Uh, <laughs> right. They, 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 they get run uh, tremendously hard in the summer, and it's difficult for those guys to keep their weight up, although they've had a pretty mild summer um, compared to normal, in my opinion. But, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how those guys develop. Um you know, talking about Makuda and, and, you know, some of those other guys. Um, you know, certainly I think if they can keep the, the, the two starters and, and I think, you know, um, Chris Allen could, could possibly end up being a starter at some point. He's got that kind of ability and then flashed that kind of uh, potential since he's been down there. But, yeah, if they can keep everybody healthy, um, that this could be a nasty, nasty inside and outside linebacker core. He's got to, you know, hope somebody – you know, takes the bull by the horns, um, you know, at that inside linebacker spot. It doesn't, you know, and going back to Christian Harris for a minute, you know, my my thoughts on him are, you know, if, if Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster couldn't get on the field um, as true freshmen, then then the, you know, the, the conventional wisdom and common sense is Christian Harris probably won't either, um, especially since he wasn't even a full-time linebacker at the high school level. But certainly he's got the uh, – athletic ability and the, the upside to become a really, really good one down the road. Yeah, he does. And then defensive line, well, I thought the defensive line was very disruptive yesterday, even though they, they had limited, it wasn't pad work, but they were getting penetration. Ibogbe was getting a lot of first-team reps with LeBron Ray being out due to recovering from ankle surgery. Ibogbe has certainly impressed them early. DJ Dale William has already mentioned he's a guy that looks like he's going to win the nose guard spot. Uh, he's ready to go. He's somebody that, you know, has come out of high school with uncommon maturity, like a Deron Payne, and looks like he can make that kind of impact early. Uh, and then Raekwon Davis looks great physically. Hopefully he's realized that he did not put together a lot of great film last year. This is his last go around. He needs to be the, the alpha and the leader of that defensive line and play like he did as a sophomore when he looked like a first round draft pick. So, I think that's your your first group, uh, you know, when LeBron Ray gets back. And then, like I say, Boigby is uh, really, along with DJ Dale, that's been the two freshmen that have impressed him the most. I still think Alfano can find a role, but sometimes he came in with the biggest reputation, but everybody adjusts differently. And I think Antonio Alfano can still help them. I think Braylon Ingraham will redshirt, but down the road we can see a lot out of uh, some uh, good stuff out of him. Byron Young is impressive physically. I think he's another one as the year goes on. At least he'll play in four games, but he may give them more. I just think what Alabama needs to happen, Stephon Wynn, uh, and, and of course, he's a redshirt freshman who I know they're going to try to develop this year, and people kind of forget about him. Uh, but, you know, and, but he, and, he, and he got some time with the ones and the twos uh, yesterday, but Fedarian Mathis. He's another one that can play end, and he can play behind D.J. Dale. He can help them. William, I think the goal for this defensive line needs to be with these young guys, by the middle to the last third of the season, have some of these guys get a lot of playing time, as you talked about, rotating in there, not starting, but getting a lot of reps. Because by the time you see Clemson, you want to have the kind of maybe the kind of production you had from the 2016 where there's very little drop-off when you're paying the, playing the backups. Now, am I, am I saying this group's going to be as good as that one? Probably not, but it needs to be in the same ballpark. And I think potentially this group of freshmen is as good as Saban's ever signed at one time. And by the end of the year, I think they can really be a factor to help LeBron Ray, and even though DJ Dell's a freshman himself, and then, uh, of course, Raekwon Davis, have a 
deep and talented defensive line. The potential is there for that to happen. And I will say this, Ismail Sopcher, has, there's been a lot of conversation about him. I can confirm he has lost weight since he's been at Alabama. He's still having to acclimate to practicing with this kind of intensity against this kind of competition. And certainly, uh, you know, he, can, he needs to continue to, to get in a better shape. But I think he was lazy in high school, so they, 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 he got away with a lot. They're not letting him get away with that here. And so the heat has been getting to him some, the way you have to practice every day. But I, I saw him in the facility yesterday, William. He doesn't look sloppy. He's definitely getting his body where he needs it to be, but the mental part for him is going to be next. He's another one down the stretch, depending on how he practices, that could develop if and finally you know, turn that corner. This defensive line, it's, it's all about potential, but it's got the potential to be really good. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think uh, uh, another guy that, that needs to uh, you know, step up and, and, and be one of those you – know, Guys that come off the bench, along with Wynn and, and Mathis, is Christian Bearmore. Yeah, that's um, a good point. And you know, I think a lot of people are you know going to look at the fact that you know Dale has made such quick work at, at the nose guard spot that well, you know, Fidarian Mathis must suck. Well, that's not the case. No, no um, agree. Just you know that it may prove to be that DJ Dale's just a little bit better. So that's a good problem um, because now all of a sudden you've got a quality backup, um, you know, in Mathis. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential with this D-line grouping. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, Ingraham, um, you know, is the only guy that red shirts, you know, from some of the early reports. And, and maybe Softster as well. Um, he probably needs a year. But, um, you know, Byron Young, um, like you touched on, I mean, he, he's, you know, turned a lot of heads in summer work. Um, you know, could could get up there and and you know be become a regular member of the rotation. But yeah, they they've got a lot of really talented guys. You know, certainly with uh, um, Raekwon and, and Ray probably moving on after the season's over with. They got to find some guys that are going to be starters next year. Uh, you know, be those next guys up. And now this defensive line has a chance to uh, be really good. And I and I wouldn't you know discount Alfano. Um, yeah. I wouldn't write him off point either you know he suffered a concussion in spring practice you know he's gone through some growing pains off the field I think uh uh you know and enjoys the the nightlife in Tuscaloosa a little bit which I'm certainly not going to throw stones at anybody for that huh. and uh so you know he, he has a chance to um you know get in there as well and but just you know a lot of talent a lot of depth just another you know position group um that, that's that's really really got a chance to be special yeah, it does. And then finally, defensively, the secondary, which I think holds the biggest key. And what I mean by that is I remember being, you know, at a scrimmage in Bryant-Denny Stadium in 2015. Eddie Jackson was had been coming back from a knee injury uh, and had been a corner early in his career. And they had moved him to free safety. And when they put him in the lineup that spring, it was like flicking a switch. And he was the last piece, and that it took that defense to an elite level. And they played at an elite level for the rest of his career in 2015 and 16, won a national title and nearly won another. Uh, Eddie has now become been named one of the top 30 players in the NFL. He went in the fourth round only due to injury as a senior. He would have been a first or a second round pick otherwise, in my opinion. Uh, and he was leading the nation in punt returns. But I think the same thing can happen with this group in the secondary, William, if Josh Job is ready to go. And I'm hearing that the coaches think he has a chance that he that they expect a lot out of him, that he is a starter. And that's going to allow Patrick Sertain to move inside to star. I think he'll be the nickel. I think Trayvon Diggs, who Alabama's lucky to still have. If he had not gotten injured against Arkansas, he was playing at a high level. I think he may have ended up going pro. You've got Trayvon Diggs. You've got Josh Job. Then Sertain is your three corners. And then the safeties, it's going to be Xavier McKinney. And I think he, he and Cheyenne Carter, that combination, they're going to be the leaders back there. And Nick Saban paid Shyam Carter about as great a compliment as you can play, or excuse me, you can pay yesterday at Media Day. He said he knows everyone's job on the entire defense. And he said when he and if he wants to, he could become a great coach. And I thought that said a lot for him. He just graduated. Wow. He's, he's a quiet kid now. I've interviewed him. He's very quiet. But I get you can also obviously say that he's a football nerd. And what I mean by that is 
He obviously watches a lot of tape. He knows everyone's job. And so I think this year, last year he played a lot of star. I think he's going to play free safety. But as Coach Saban said yesterday as well, we can put him anywhere and feel good about how he's going to play. He can play corner. He can play nickel. He can play safety. I think he's going to play free safety. And if Job is ready to go, you got those five guys. And then a senior is the third safety named Jared Maiden, who I talked to yesterday as well. Maiden sounded very confident to me, like very settled. And, you know, I think he's, he's for it's taken, as he said, he was pay, he had to be patient, but I think he now knows the scheme really well. He's a senior with a lot of experience. Now, I think the secondary, it was, it was hot and cold last year, but some of that had to do with injuries. Some of it had to do uh, with Savion Smith, honest to God, not being that good a player. He was exposed by Clemson. Now he wasn't terrible because he made plays during the season, but against the best competition, I think Savion kind of got exposed, but I think this year's group has more talent, and now with experience to go with it, William, I think this secondary can be uh, maybe as good as we saw for the for the three years in uh, from 2015 through 17 uh, when Minka Fitzpatrick was back there, and they had a lot of talent in Eddie Jackson. This secondary's got a chance if Josh Dove's ready to go uh, to really put this defense in an elite category. Well, and to me, I think the, the biggest hindrance to the secondary last year once they started playing good quarterbacks and good wide receivers was the lack of a pass rush. That always makes yeah, it that's true. Um, you know, r- r- real, real, real difficult on those guys. Um, but, you know, I, I, I felt like last year they made a mistake in not playing Job more than they did. You know, mm-hmm. when they put him in, in, in a no-win situation versus Clemson, the game was already basically over with. Um, you know, that kid, he got beat. He got beat several times. But, man, you could tell it was important to him. Um, he didn't like getting beat. You know, a lot of people want to ding him for the personal foul after the touchdown. Not me. That 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 just, you know, he let his emotions get the best of him. Certainly you don't want that kind of, um, you know, deal with that kind of stuff on the kickoff. But um, I was very impressed with him. The kid's gotten huge physically. Um, the coaching staff feels like he's ready to go. And, and you know, you, you're talking about, you know, you, you mentioned a guy's name that's going to be a starter for the first time this year in Xavier McKinney that a lot of Alabama fans, you know, aren't even really familiar with. And, you know, some pro scouts already have him labeled a top 20 draft pick, and he's never even started. So there, there is a phenomenal bunch of talent back there. I think they brought in some more guys in this recruiting class. It'll certainly add depth. Um, but, man, that, that's going to be especially if Lewis and, uh, you know, Jennings and those pass rushers can deliver a, a legit pass rush. I mean, they could really be, um, you know, some some uh, ball hawks back there and flip the field with interception returns and stuff because they're all phenomenal athletes who can do things, you know, special things with the ball in their hands. Um, you know, once they get an interception. So I'm I'm probably just as excited about the DBs as I am the wide receivers. I, I think they've got a chance to really, really make some, some big plays this year. Yeah, they really could. And I think they got a chance. They've got some young guys, too, that should be able to learn this year and be ready to go in 2020. Brandon Turnage made several plays yesterday. He's from Oxford, Mississippi. He's a combo DB. He could – Maybe be a corner, maybe a safety, a a nickel. I think he's got a chance. I think Jordan Battle uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. He's he's number six uh, on in your on your program now in the defensive backfield. I still think he has a chance uh, to be a good player. Scooby Carter. So the good thing is they've got some young kids that should be able to learn from some of these guys that are Xavier McKinney's a junior. Now we said Maiden's a senior, Trevon's a senior. These are experienced players that should be able to help the young kids behind them develop where there hopefully can be, uh, you know, another talented group put together in 2020 as well. So I think the recruiting and they're going to sign a good secondary group this year. Uh, and so they, they should have some good young talent in the program when much of this next group moves on uh, following this season. You know, Sertain and Job will be back, but the rest of these guys are all Shime Carter's a senior, too. I'll be shocked if he's not a captain. So they're all going to be moving on, but there's going to, there's enough young talent in the program where they'll be able to bring guys up, uh, and they'll be able to have you know the the the, uh, the talent ready to take over a year uh, a year from now. And of course, you got Carl, Carl Scott and and uh, Charles Kelly. So 
it's a really good situation, healthy situation, I think, uh, in the secondary. Well, I guess we need to wrap it up tonight, guys. It's been a very uh, good uh, first BAMS radio for this coming season. We've kind of taken a position by position look uh, at a lot of the uh, uh, the, the football team headed into fall camp. We're certainly going to come to you next week uh, following scrimmage number one. We'll be hearing a lot of buzz, and we'll go into what we're hearing about this football team early as it's now uh, at the against the Duke Blue Devils, but we're really looking forward to it, and we're looking forward to another year of BAMS radio football season on on through recruiting. Uh, Thomas Watts, myself, and William will be coming to you each and every Monday, and we look forward to that. I want to thank Thomas Watts, the great job he's done, and I want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us tonight, but we hope you enjoyed our first episode of the 2019 season for BAMS radio. We will be coming to you each week now, But good night and roll tide, and we look forward to coming to you next week following scrimmage number one of fall camp 2019. Have a good night, everybody.